0: Dawn Madeline Barclay, or D.M. Barr, uh, she's also known as. She's an author. She's got uh, an incredible work ethic. She's got great works of fiction and and nonfiction. I really enjoyed talking to Dawn. I explored the whole process. It, It fascinates me just how artists, where they get inspiration from, and, you know, what their process is. She has a specific process that was really interesting. Uh, I, there was a term that I, had, just doing research that I had never heard before, a pantser or a plotter. What kind of writer are you, a pantser or a plotter? Never heard these two terms before. You're going to find out what they mean. It's very, very interesting. Uh, I, I really, really enjoy the process of writing. I think it was Faulkner that said, don't be a writer, be writing. Just keep writing dawn brings out another point is not only that but also keep reading but so specific and uh we talk about you know the genres she's kind of cross genre at one point and then she kind of solidified process of finding publishers and um you know kind of the business side as well but really great conversation with dawn as a as a, a great author uh you're going to enjoy this conversation as i did thanks for listening hi i'm joey pins People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born, next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change, discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith? How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family, and their passion, and their careers, and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey pins discipline conversations. It will be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, Dawn. I really appreciate you doing this. So why write about sex, suspense, and satire? That's a different whole interview. (laughs) The three S's, (laughs) as I like to say.
1: Yeah, um, because those are the things I like to read. So um, yeah, it just turned out that way. I started by writing a psychological thriller called Expired Listings. It was a little kinky. It was not autobiographical, but it was about a small town where people were killing off all the realtors and the public looked at it like a public service and the other realtors thought it was less competition. So it's a little bit satiric. And then I backed it up with a book called Murder Worth the Weight, which was about a plot against the diet industry and how we're really two people, one when we're heavier and one when we're thinner. So that sort of fed into that. And then I've written some romantic suspense. I've written a psychological thriller called saving grace. That's done pretty well. Um, yeah. So actually the book I'm here to speak about was supposed to be my first book and it turned out to be my eighth.
0: Wow. (laughs) And how did that happen?
1: Well, I started, I wanted to write this book back in the early two thousands when I needed a book like this and it didn't exist. And I, um, I interviewed Tony Atwood, who's very big in, uh, well, it used to be called Asperger's, but now it's just falls under autism spectrum disorder. Uh, And I interviewed Dr. Alan Littman, who's very big in ADHD, especially with girls. And then I kind of hit a wall because I didn't have a lot of other people to interview. And it wasn't until the um, certified autism travel professional designation was created and a lot of agents studied how to help this um, this population that I knew how to write the book because I knew who I could interview, and they were kind enough to, inter- uh, to introduce me to their clients who are families with special needs kids, and there, were a, there was a lot of information out on the internet, uh, much more than when I was first researching, so it was a much easier book to write now.
0: Yeah, and you cite, I was fascinated by this, you cite a statistic that shocked me 93% of families with autism don't travel with autistic children don't travel.
1: Well, they, they, they would travel if they knew where to go and how to do it, which Mm. is another reason I wrote the book. But yeah, a lot of people are frightened about what people are going to think when uh, their child melts down, that they're afraid people are going to judge them as parents and uh, they're afraid people will think the child's a brat when their child is really just dealing with sensory overload And so that's kept a lot of people from traveling. They also didn't know where to go. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book too, because there are a lot of places that are either labeled as autism friendly or they're certified as certified autism centers now. And uh, I list a number of them in the book and how to find more. Hmm. But the book is primarily about tips on how to travel as opposed to where to go.
0: Very interesting. And uh, you might've glanced over this, but why autistic children? Why focus on that?
1: Well, it's not just children on the spectrum. It's also children with mood disorders like Mm. bipolar and uh, borderline personality disorder. It's also children with attention disorders like Mm. ADHD and just generally children who are anxious and inflexible. And quite honestly, even neurotypical kids are anxious and inflexible when they're removed from their comfort zone.
0: Very interesting. Have you uh, seen, I believe it's on Netflix, Love on the Spectrum?
1: I know it's there. I have not seen it yet.
0: So I'm going to highly recommend it. it's two seasons. So my girlfriend's son is on the spectrum uh, with Asperger's and uh, you know, it's, 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 just, it has its challenges, but a, a loving young man, you know, and honest, and you really see it in this love on the spectrum, just on the spectrum, just these genuine young people just trying to find, you know, their, their mate and what the challenges they go through. It's, it's uh you may you may shed a, a tear or two.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I, I think that these are just people who think differently. It's not that they think incorrectly. It's not that they're not highly intelligent. I know a number of people on the spectrum who are highly intelligent. Absolutely. I, I would say that most of them are. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It just has to do a lot with sensory processing.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, sarcasm does not uh, they don't quite grasp that and uh I ha I happen to live you know on that planet uh with sarca I remember one particular instance we had come back from shopping and uh Nolan was helping us bring the groceries in and I, I bought some salmon and I said Nolan can you bring this in and he goes sure and I said you know be careful don't let it swim away and and he said um Joe I think we're beyond that point <laughs> he was
1: being sarcastic back
0: <laughs> he was. He likes to give it a little bit too. And I like it's, that. it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I like that. And so, yeah. what, what are the things that you that you learned about traveling with with um, you know with with uh, children on the spectrum and these kind of disorders? Well, it's important for you to understand this is not my
1: story. This right. is the culmination of hundreds of interviews with uh, travel professionals, with parents, and with uh, mental health professionals, allies, and advocates. And what I, I found really was that these tips help neurotypical kids as well, hmm. because it's really the main the main ideas is that you have to break the trip down to the nth degree and prepare for each part of it and to create a very child-centric trip. Hmm. So most of the book is dedicated to giving you tips that help you not get to the point where the child melts down. Uh, and so I advocate starting small. I discuss how that can be, um, taking a child to a flea market and saying it's a scavenger hunt anything that gets them out of the house and out of their regular routine hmm. and then provides a frame of reference for later on for predictability so if you call a trip to a zoo or a local aquarium uh, a you know a, a tour that's something you can refer back to if it goes well if you're going to go to a hotel before you spend thousands on a long hotel stay go to a neighbor's house or a friend's house or a family member's house and spend the night there and see what your child needs uh, to not be triggered. Maybe it's they have to bring their own sheets and blankets. Maybe they have to bring their own toiletries so they're familiar with the scent. It might be that they need mm. to, they want familiar lamp. To like the, ha- you know, you'll know your child. Some people bring fans because it blocks out the sound from the hallway in a hotel, so that'll give you a nice preview. If you're planning a camping trip, perhaps you want to go on a camping trip in your backyard for mm. one night, and and so you have created a frame of reference. You might want to get picture books, and I list a number of them that uh, will introduce your child to what their favorite characters do on vacation, so they can be traveling like Peppa Pig traveled. Um, you're going to want to just break it down and see where the, the issues may lie.
0: So you kind of, also
1: please. pacing is very important too. Um, you don't want to cram everything into every day of the trip. You may want to do just one or two things at the child's pace.
0: Yeah. You kind of softly preparing them. Uh, and you have a strong background in travel. I mean, with Manhattan yes. agency, and you've done a yeah. lot of traveling. You talked once about yes. a particular Argentina uh, experience that was wonderful, but just terrible people. Uh, I guess that that which well,
1: that turned into a really good fiction book. That's right. where the characters had a much better time than I did. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was I was the daughter of the two owners of a major Manhattan travel agency and I worked my way up to management and sales. And then they uh, they developed um, a division that dealt with short-term apartment rentals and villas in Europe. And this was way before Airbnb existed. Wow. So I was running all the marketing for that. And I've worked with different uh, categories of travel, as well as I've been either a senior editor or contributing editor to a to a number of travel trade publications, I'm still writing for one now. I'm the um, special needs and family travel editor for Insider Travel Report.
0: Yeah, it just seems that you're just a natural fit for for your for your success in, in being an author. How do you how do you tackle the problem of the blank page, Dawn?
1: I sit and I write. I I type and even though I know it might be terrible because it's not a great day or my mind's not into it, I know that you can never edit, you can't edit a blank page Mm. and all the magic of writing comes in revision. So I just sit there when I'm in writing mode. I might sit for two hours from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. before work, wow. and I'll just type a 1,000 thousand words. And if I don't finish those 1,000 words during those two hours, I'll come back to it later. But I'm usually freshest in the morning when there's no noise around, and I'm just, it just doesn't work as well in the evening for me. And I just type knowing I can revise it later.
0: I, I forget who said it. Perhaps it was Faulkner. He said, don't be a writer, just be writing.
1: It sounds good. That's basically what it is. A very good friend of mine who's found tremendous success in young adult writing ha- told me just button the seat, fingers on the keyboard, and mm. just go.
0: And you, that's what you do. You type, you don't do longhand.
1: Not for like forever. No, I, I type.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so th- I think right onto the keys you now. You really do. Uh, and so, a thousand words, that's about four pages. Yeah, it's about 250 words a page, Page. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And do you storyboard? No. In
1: fact, I also don't outline very much.
0: Wow.
1: I I, I start a book, and there are people who are pantsers like me. We go by the seat of our pants, and there are people who are outliners, and I- have a vague idea of who's done it when I'm doing a of uh, thriller or a mystery, and I have a vague idea how they're going to get there. But I'm reading it basically as I'm writing it, and wow. new characters pop up, new plot twists pop up. Um, I had my first book, the killer, was somebody very different originally, and then I wrote it, read a book of. Um, by Chevy Stevens, who's a great author out of Canada. And she had a book that involved murdering realtors or kidnapping realtors. And her, her killer was the same as mine. I said, Oh, I can't do that. And the, I had to change mid course. And it turned out that my, the way I ended it was much better. I was grateful for that change because nobody ever guesses the end of that book.
0: I'm fascinated by this process because I hear musicians talk about this, you know, uh, songwriters, how, you know, it kind of, it it just kind of took over. It, it just, I, I just remember the classic story where, where, you know, Bob Dylan wrote uh, Along the Watchtower and within a couple of weeks, Jimi Hendrix performed it and Bob Dylan saw Jimi Hendrix perform it and said, that was never my song. It's always been his, even though it came for me. So I just, uh, as you talk about this, where you say, the story is taking over. I, that's. Is there a sense of euphoria that happens there? I've never experienced this before, and it's just it's just typing away. It it does take over. Like I had one
1: character who was not supposed to have a love interest, and she walks in to speak to a detective, and suddenly I said, you know, she thinks he's really cute. And there's going to be a love intro- And that ended up taking over the book. And the book became something very different than it originally was going to be.
0: Wow. Now, when you so, say originally uh, was going to be, so you had some idea uh, in a, in a, I had, an,
1: I, I had an idea of, that she was going to be involved in being fingered for a series of, of uh, serial killings and she was going to have to get herself out of it. But I did not intend for her to have a love interest and the way it turned out was much better than the way I originally (laughs) had thought about it.
0: Yeah. I heard somebody ask you that question too. You mentioned that word pantser before Are you a pantser or a plotter. I'm not familiar with either of these terms.
1: Yeah. Plotters actually plot. There are people who write, 150 page outlines wow. i can't do that i can't because i'll i know i i can't if i'm going to do that i might as well just write the book
0: yeah.
1: uh and pantsers go by the seat of their pants i i have to admit that halfway through a book i usually know what i want to do and then i'll write the next several chapters in that i'll write a chapter number and then i'll write one line and that line describes what's going to how that plot uh, that chapter is going to help the book progress wow. so i know sort of when it's going to be finished. And I know that if I start a book and write a thousand words a day, I'm probably going to get finished in 90 days uh, or a little less. And then I'm going to get my um, critique group to look at it. I'm going to get my beta readers to look at it. I probably will hire an editor to look at it. Um, Even though I'm an editor, I will always pay for editing uh, because we're always too close to our own work to edit it correctly. Mm. And um, then I've got to start the wonderful journey of querying agents and uh, publishers and trying to get it sold, (laughs) which usually takes longer than writing the book.
0: Yeah, the business gets in the way. But going back to that process, which just fascinates me, have you ever got to a, like you mentioned one particular time where you were going in a particular direction, but you, you've you got influence from another place saying, I'm going to change that direction there. I mean, have you ever thought, well, that's really not mine. That's somebody else's, like in that kind of Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix thing. Have you ever mm. thought, it's not really mine? No.
1: I I actually feel like I really write original mm. stories. Um, that's why they're sometimes harder to sell because a lot of people, a lot of publishers like to work off derivative works. Uh. It's usually far hard for me to find comps to pitch with my queries, um, but I don't mind because I want something that's original, and, and that's the one thing that really makes me happy. Is when people look at my work and say, "Yeah, I, I've never read anything quite like it."
0: Hmm. Have you ever been? You mentioned it's about a ninety-day journey to finish a book. Have you ever been at a certain point and think, "Wow, this is so good. I'm going to save this for another book."
1: I've taken pieces out. I've never reincorporated them, but I, I there was a piece of. Um, when i was writing expired listings there was a piece that i thought no this is crowding this plot and it doesn't belong here and i said but it'll be great for the next book in the series if i write it so i still have that sort of hanging over my head waiting to go someplace
0: it's fascinating and then the other we hear stories now about how you know stephen king wrote some of his you know greatest works whether you're a fan or not, but when he was, you know, heavily influenced, right? When he was heavily, uh, you know, he, he had drug addiction, he had different kinds of addictions and then how and, and cigarettes and things like that. And some of his greatest works came from it. And he, and he, he confesses it's harder to write without that. Now that he's, that he's sober. I mean, any thoughts on that process and how kind of outside influences help or miss misguide or misdirect directions?
1: I can only say that I've never really been able to write fiction while I'm dieting. Mm. <laughs> it's hard for me to concentrate on two things at once that way. So I'm sure that I write better when I have lots of chocolate near me, but I, I, I don't have a, you know, I'm heavily influenced by aspects of my past. Mm. So expired listings, I was a realtor for a very long time. Yeah. So it's a parody of the real estate industry. Murder worth the wait. I've been a yo-yo dieter my whole life. So that's really what that's all about. And my feelings on how people react differently to you when you're heavy and you're thin. Um, the, the book I just put out, Simple Truths of Fate, as you said, it was based on a a press trip I took to Argentina and I used that itinerary and I used a couple of horrible women who were in that trip. Um, they, they, I made them out to be these horrible women who are uh, in the book, uh, but they're not the stars. They're just side characters. Um, and that was really a fun book to write. I, I had worked for a nursing home for a while, and I also had um, volunteered for uh, Meals on Wheels. And that sort of led to me writing uh, Queen of Second Chances, which is set in an, in a, a senior center. And it's about um, how it's never too, too late to cure the regrets of the past. Mm. I like that book. So I'm trying to think. Saving Grace is about a woman who... Um, decides that if she goes off her paranoia medication that um well she decides when she goes off her paranoia medication that her husband's planning to murder her for her inheritance once her father dies her father's a billionaire and she has to find a way to extricate herself without destroying her family in case she's wrong and that was that was inspired but when my when my husband asked me about my inheritance wow <laughs> Now I haven't, my father's still alive and I haven't inherited a penny, but that's what <laughs> inspired that. So there are pieces from my past that give me the ideas for my books.
0: Is there any place you won't go with your writing?
1: Yeah. I'll never murder an animal and mm-hmm. I'll never harm a child.
0: Interesting. And have you ever, That that's really interesting because you just, those are just Th- those are just facts you hold on to as a person. So it, it'd be unfair to have them bleed through the page.
1: I, I couldn't write about it. It's just too upsetting to right. me. Yeah. Uh, but kinks, you know, <laughs> I have no problem writing kink.
0: Interesting. <laughs> and have you ever like, have you ever gone back to a book that you've written in the past and think, boy, I, I should, I, I didn't like that. I should have done something different here. Have you had regrets about things that you have put out?
1: I'm not that much of a masochist. I know if I read my books again, there'll be a million things Mm -hmm. I want to change because I know from the editing, you know, you, you, you edit and you edit until you can't stand the book anymore. And that's when, you know, it's ready to go. When you can't stand reading that copy anymore because you've edited so many times, it's ready to go. And, um, yeah, I don't, I I can't look backward because there's not much I can do.
0: Yeah, I have a hard enough time, you know, watching or listening to myself uh, these podcasts. I I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know why I squint when I listen to people. I don't know why I do the certain things I do. I can't imagine, you know, kind of giving it over and like you you mentioned, you had people that edit them and they edit them and they edit them. And uh, what if there's clashes with editors? What happens there? Nope usually you, you, you work with editors who like your work to
1: start with mm. and they're not really good editors are not writing for you. They're just pointing out where you might want to make some changes. Uh, I would say in, uh, saving grace, my editor, terrific woman, she made some suggestions that really helped the book sparkle. Hmm. Uh, because there are things you don't see when you're writing it, but I'm pretty open to revision. I'm pretty open to editing suggestions. And a lot of times an editor who seems lots of people, this woman happens to also be the uh, acquisitions editor for a very large publisher in mystery. So I'm going to take what she says, Mm. you know, wholeheartedly because she knows what she's talking about. I'm probably not going to hire an editor that I think I know more than them.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. Let's just talk about the industry. We're down to the big four now, right? Uh, As far as publishing, is it, is it difficult? Is it more, is it more difficult than ever to get a book out? Yes.
1: And that's why I really work with small presses. Uh, I've had one fiction agent in my life and one nonfiction agent. And with the fiction agent, she was not able to sell me to the big five at that time because I was sort of cross genre Mm. and, I had already been uh, querying publishers before I signed on to her. I had five contracts of my own. I didn't like any of them. In fact, I speak in public about what to look for in a contract from a small publisher and what to run away from. And um, um, so I self-published my first book, even though I could have gone through a small press. The other ones were all published with small presses, except for um, my nonfiction I had a I have a really great agent and she's found me a very good trade publisher and she got the um audiobook people to she has a audiobook or a licensing person who got an auction going for the audio rights so I did well on that hmm. and we're start we're trying for foreign you know foreign language rights but um Yeah, I find it much easier to work with small presses. I actually find it easier to get a book published with a publisher than go through an agent.
0: Interesting. What is the difference between a publisher and an agent?
1: An agent is the person who's um, pitching you to most large publishers. In fact, you're not going to get into a big four or big five unless you have an agent who's pitching for you. Um, But it's because they're sort of like the uh, gatekeeper. They're keeping the bad writing out. Mm. But they also have a vested interest in that book doing well. And so if they think that it's not going to be like every other book they've sold, they're going to be less um, or actually more hesitant to take it on. Whereas a publisher might be more willing to work with you directly. That's, that's been my experience. There's a lot of great hmm. agents out there. It's just been easier for me to work directly with publishers.
0: And before I asked you if there's a clash with editor, I guess the better, the better question is, and you see this in movies, right, where they, you know, Hollywood decides to take a different angle on a particular book. Or, you know, if the publisher said to you, we don't want the protagonist doing this, they make a, a major change in the direction of their story. I mean, what happens then? Thank God that's never happened to me. Mm. I haven't even
1: had publishers change my titles. They like my titles, which is nice. I've had very light editing. I can't really say that anybody's been a heavy editor on me. Um, Honestly, if I didn't like the direction that the publisher wanted to go, I'd probably pull the book.
0: Mm. And you got great cover art on your books too. You talk about how important that is.
1: Yes. It's so important that your art pops. And I have to say that my publishers have to be very patient with me because they'll send me cover art and I'll say, Nope. And then I'll go out and find the picture and tell them what I want. And they've been very good about using my covers wow. uh, because I have a very definite idea of how I want the book to look.
0: So for aspiring authors, you know, uh, let tell us of your journey, how you got from, you know, to become an author where you are now and what advice can you give to them?
1: Wow. I've been writing since, I mean, forever. I've been writing since I was 10. Um, I have been published since I was in my early 20s and I was writing for free at that time. And that was at a time that not everybody wrote for free like Mm. they do now for blogs and everything. Uh, But I wrote for a uh, sort of a newspaper, a giveaway newspaper called Downtown Manhattan. I was doing uh, reviews for um, restaurants and theater. And from there I had clips that I could show to a travel magazine when I had the chance to work for travel agent magazine. So by working for free, I had what I needed to qualify for a paying job. And most of my time was writing corporate communications and, um, nonfiction. And it, I never had the guts to write fiction until I was in my fifties. I wanted to, I thought about it. And then I just, I didn't have the guts. And finally, I just said, now's the time. And I took a stab at it. And the whole reason was as a realtor, I knew how dangerous it is to be a realtor. Mm. And I kind of wanted to write a story that showed that. Um, and I, when I wrote it, I didn't expect that it would be a psychological thriller. I was working with an agent and he said, not an agent, I'm sorry, an editor. And he said, well, this is a great psychological thriller. I said, oh, great. I love that's what it is. Cause that's what I like to read, but that's not what I meant to write. So what would I tell people to do was your question? Yeah. Um, I would take classes. I would network with other writers. I would, uh, if you're, it depends on what category of writing you want to do, but there are organizations that cater to every type of writing. So if I wanted to write mystery, I would probably join Mystery Writers of America, or I would join Sisters in Crime, or I would attend. I would attend their conferences like Thriller Fest for um, the International Thriller Writers. There are so many. There for um, romance, there's Romance Writers of America. There's always a place to go and learn and speak to other authors and network. And read the most important thing you can do as a writer is read and understand the genre that you're writing in.
0: Very good advice. Oftentimes, I would think, yeah, that you have you have to read. Now, you, you talked about categories and genre. you a lot of your stuff is kind of cross. Genre. So, yeah,
1: I, I do that. I'm actually the best advice is to stay with one genre and to write mm. series. And I write standalones and I write in a number of different genres. So it's harder for me. Like, I, I guess I am a masochist.
0: Well, it seems to me that you pick the book and then somebody else decides what genre it's in. Whereas some mm-hmm. of the other writers kind of pick the genre and then just go that way. No, that was my first book. That Uh, was my first
1: book. After that, I knew that Murder Worth the Wait was going to be a romantic suspense. It's also, yeah, it's really more romantic suspense than anything else. And I was pretty sure that some of the other ones were either going to be um, sweet romance or... um, young adult romance, kinky romance. I, I knew ahead of time what the genre on those were going to be. But my problem is that um, there's always a lot of humor in my books, whether they're mysteries or romance or whatever. And there's always a little bit of mystery in
0: my uh, romance. And you, you kind of glanced over something quickly I want to spend just a couple minutes on. You said you mentioned uh, you were in the beginning in your 20s, you were writing reviews for restaurants and for theater. Yeah. So tell me the consequences of a good and a bad review.
1: I'm sure there were absolutely no consequences because I'm sure nobody ever wrote read what I wrote. Really, <laughs> it, was for a, it was for a little throwaway newspaper like you would find in a bank. But it got me into theater free, and it got me into restaurants for free, and it was really fun for me to do.
0: So you'd go to the theater and say you're a critic. Here's my credentials. And no, oh
1: no, no, I um I would get assignments from my editor. Oh they usually was somebody say for a restaurant, they wanted advertising. So free advertising. So they'd send me in for a meal and I'd review it if for a theater. It was nightlife and theater and they got me in.
0: But if you're going for advertising for a restaurant and you don't like the food, how are you going to be a good advertiser?
1: Well, how are you going to be a good reviewer? You mean? Yes.
0: I'm sorry. How are you going to be? Yeah, a good that's reviewer? okay.
1: <laughs> I, I really wrote about the history. I, I have to be honest. I never found a place that I didn't like the Let's food. See um but i would really talk about the history of the restaurant i would talk about um the backgrounds of the owners i would concentrate on that and then i would talk about the meal
0: very interesting uh because you know you just always kind of hear of these kind of critics and chip on their shoulder and things like that and but that obviously wasn't the case with you
1: yeah no <laughs> I've been very lucky with you know, and I wasn't going in with an adversarial point of view. Right. I just was glad to get a free meal. I was a young kid in her twenties living in Manhattan on my own. I was like, yay, free food.
0: Because <laughs> free meal. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody would take that now. Absolutely. Yeah. You, know, you talked about your struggle with dieting and, you know, the whole diet industry. And uh we talk a lot on the on the uh, on the podcast about just discipline, and I wonder how you feel. Do you consider yourself self-disciplined? Or how do you feel about discipline in writing, etc.? I
1: it goes in waves.
0: Hmm.
1: Right now, I'm on a good wave. I'm working with uh, Weight Watchers. I am uh, concentrating on mindset, and the book "The Shift" is a great book that uh, somebody who's re- who's associated with Weight Watchers has uh, put out great book. And it really talks about, um, self-compassion. It's like, if you make a mistake, you don't have to spend the next five years binging Mm. to punish yourself. Mm. So, um, whatever I do, I put my whole heart into whether it's dieting or whether it's gaining all the weight back.
0: (laughs) Has that happened?
1: Oh yes. Yes. Several times. Um, which is why writing that book was like slitting my wrists and letting the blood pour out onto the computer screen uh yeah but i'm doing well now and i think i'm very disciplined when it comes to not only writing but publicity uh because i because i'm very single-minded like it's like this is publicity time and when i'm doing it i find it very hard to do anything else Mm. so i'm not writing some people who are wonderful and they can do oh i'll do two hours publicizing my work and i'll do two hours writing and i'm just not built that way i'm sort of like in all publicity mode right now and I know the next book I want to write, but I just haven't found the time to write it yet.
0: Wow. And have you always felt like, uh, to me, writing a book is one of the hard? it seems to be one of the hardest things ever. And it just seems that a lot of discipline. Now, you say you wake up in the morning, you, you, you write from like four to six, I think you said, is that typical? Do you have a certain time that you do it?
1: Uh, it's typical when I'm inspired to write. Like right now I'm not writing, but when I, if I start I know I'll want to push forward and then I'll be very organized about it. But then there might be several months where I don't write because I'm doing something else like publicizing my work or querying my work.
0: Very interesting. And when, when you're done with this kind of side and you know you have a kind of theme for your next book, you won't outline it all. You say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start working on it. Get up at six and here's the first thousand pages of this new book.
1: Thousand words.
0: I'm sorry, thousand pages. (laughs)
1: I'm I'm not not that (laughs) dedicated. I'm not writing it. I'm not writing warranties. Um, Yeah. I, I, I already have ideas of how I want it to start. I know basically what's going to happen. I I don't have the, I have one character sort of carved out in my mind, but I haven't started writing it yet. Um, And I will, I will probably later in the summer when, when my new, book about traveling with kids on the spectrum comes out.
0: Right. And even if you're traveling, you just bring the laptop. Do you, are you at a desk? Are you on a couch? Uh, how do you, uh, do you have coffee? <laughs> Paint <the> a <laughs> <Laptop>. picture.
1: <laughs> laptop, on my, um, laptop on my lap while I'm sitting on my couch comfortably, sometimes next to my dog. Uh, and I manage to tune out everything. So my husband and son could be talking to me. I won't hear it. Wow. And they, they'll they say, but I told you something. I said, but I wasn't listening to you because I was writing, uh, no music, preferably silence. So, you know, hopefully nobody's playing the television in the room. Cause then I'm going to have to go, uh, I have to have it silent. And that's why four to 6 AM really works for right. me. Uh, even the dog's tired then. And so, uh, yeah. I know not usually coffee or anything, maybe, maybe a soda or something. I don't know. I haven't thought of it. That's not part of, you know, it's not it's, as, it's not part of the, the, the regime. I say it's, it's a, just like a quiet,
0: <laughs> just like a quiet. Yeah. It's not as ritualistic as I'm, I'm kind of grabbing for it. It seems you just kind of get down to business and away you go.
1: Yeah. But if I'm, you know, if I, have to write in a different room. I will, I have found that I can write in the evening. I can write in different locations. It has to be that I have the idea in my head. What Uh, I will try to do is when I'm in the middle of writing a book, I'll say, okay, for the next chapter, I kind of want this to happen. And I'll go to sleep and tell myself, I want to work out how that's going to happen. And then I wake up and I have an idea. Wow. So I, I let my subconscious work for me while I'm sleeping.
0: And if it doesn't come out, do you take a day off if there's no new inspiration?
1: I try not to take the day off because I usually want to push forward. I I suppose if I had to travel or something, I would take the time off, though I can remember trips to my dad down in Florida where I was sitting by the pool with the laptop Mm. on my lap and I was writing. So I kind of get into a groove and I want to keep going.
0: Saturdays and Sundays, seven days a week? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. For 90 days, approximately, give or take. Yeah,
1: maybe a little less. I got to tell you, uh, simple Trist of fate. Three weeks, but I wasn't working, so I could work write all the way through. Wow,
0: wow! Uh, what motivates you, Dawn? Um,
1: did I mention chocolate? No, I was kidding. That's it's what wonderful. motivates me. I love, <laughs> I love the idea that people are going to read what I write. Mm. People I've never met that live in Brazil and Australia. That I've gotten letters from people in these far off places. Um, who said I entertained them, and they or I made them think because I usually try to tackle maybe a, um an issue in my books, and so that always is a wonderful thing with the new book traveling different it's really that I opened up hopefully the world to people who could not travel or did not travel because they they didn't know how to with their their kid on the spectrum or with anxiety or whatever, so I like being read, and I like having uh, an influence on people's lives.
0: Hmm. Has anybody wanted to turn your, your books into a movie or a show or like bring it to a different kind of level? Are you open to that?
1: I've wanted that. Mm. <laughs> if anybody's listening who would like to buy film rights, please call me. Uh, there, I have several books that I think would make wonderful movies. And I've been told as much. If people read my reviews on Amazon, they'll see that a number of people have have said that they would make good movies, but I have not yet been approached.
0: Now, how would you feel if, you know, you're, you've developed you know, how somebody looks in your, in your mind as the author. And how would you feel if they place somebody that just, you don't feel is right for that?
1: Yeah, I would try to negotiate casting approval, yes. but I've got the feeling that as a <laughs> sort of a new author that no one knows of, I'm really not going to get that. Um, I would think that somewhere along the line, I'd have to detach myself from the project and think, well, they paid me, it's theirs now. I still have my book intact. If they screw up the movie, that's not on me.
0: I bring up Stephen King again because I knew that was an issue with some of his books. He, you know, he was not happy with some. Of the, some, I guess, they actually changed some of the plot. And uh, I know, in like in The Shining, for example, there was a couple, a couple of things that he was unhappy about. But again, he was paid and and rather handsomely, I'm sure. And uh, you know, I, you always, you know, will there be clashes because they know how to, you know, their goal is to make money and to get, you know, seats in the. I was going to say seats in the theater, but it's really not that about. about not about that anymore, is it? Oh, no. No. Yeah, it's more about uh yeah, views, viewers and, on Netflix. Streaming. Yeah, it's more about yeah. streaming. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very yeah. It's very, very different now. Um and how do you define success, Don? Uh,
1: I I think that if I'm pleased with the way a book comes out. Hmm. And I'm proud of the way it turned out. And I read and say, wow, I can't believe I wrote that, that that's success for me. I know it really should be the amount of money I'm making or the number. It would be nice to have more reviews. I I do have a lot of reviews for some of my books, but not for others. But um, I think success has to come from within and you have to be pleased with what you've accomplished. The fact that I'm an author now um, and I hang out with other authors, I'm such an author groupie. You know, I, I admire because they change the world. The writers are the ones who change the world. As much as you mm. love actors and actresses, they're reading the words that a writer has written. Hmm. And so I'm so blessed that I get to spend time with some amazing authors. Uh, and uh, that really makes me happy.
0: How how absolutely noble. It was a great pleasure talking with you today. I I really enjoy your work. I I enjoyed researching you, and uh, I looked forward to this, and I really appreciate our time. How can we get in touch with you? You were mentioning before that it's it's DM Bar, but that's your kind of other AKA?
1: Yes. If people want to read my nonfiction book, and if you don't mind, I'm going to say the book is called Traveling Different Vacation Strategies for the Anxious, the Inflexible, and the Neurodiverse, Mm. they can find that at travelingdifferent.com where I have a blog that will back up the uh, and, and update the book uh, and they can find out where to purchase it and everything like that. My uh, fiction name is DMbar and it's dmbar.com. And my books are all available wherever you find you know, good books to read, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and if people would like to drop me a line, I'm always happy to talk to them and uh, hear what they're thinking.
0: Absolutely, and bars got two R's for everybody. two bars everybody. got two R's. Got two DM R's. Bar. And yeah. I will put these. Uh, we'll put these in the show notes as well. All these links. Uh, Don, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I really, uh, I, I, I'm really awed by your your, your discipline and uh, the way you write. I, I wonder if uh, if it's in us all. If we can all kind of keep writing, uh, not be a writer perhaps, and just keep writing and and try to put out good good and great work like you have. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you very much. And just know all your, your listeners should know that everybody has a story to tell. They just Mm. have to sit at the computer
0: and type it out. Mm. Well said. Excellent parting note. Thank you so much, John. You be well. Have a great day. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey pins, discipline conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode our website www.joeypins.com there you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them and if you like it, please consider giving five star rating. would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, $10, or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. There's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pins Discipline Conversation.